Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, hey, good morning, South Valley. Uh, As Ricky said, my name is Seth Kurtz. I'm one of the pastors here at South Valley. And uh, I'm really excited to be getting the opportunity to be back up here sharing uh, in the Word of God together with you. And uh, I just want you to know that we are glad that you're here this morning, whether you're here in person, whether you're here online. Uh, We're just excited that you're here with us, that you're taking time out of your busy schedule to encounter God, and that we can be a part of that with you. And uh, I also want to say this is is not something that... uh, it just kind of stood out to me while we were worshiping earlier. Uh, there was this incredible moment where Chris and the team just kind of went a cappella at the end of I Speak Jesus. And there were a bunch of men who didn't know the timing and sang it just a little bit too early, okay? And here, here's the thing. I thought it was incredible, right? Because that tells me that there were some men out here just sold out in a moment of worship that they don't care if all of a sudden everybody else hears them, right? Uh, so I want to encourage that church. That is, that's, that's the kind of worship culture that we want to create at South Valley. And so I want to encourage that in you. But uh, this, this morning, actually last week, Pastor Ricky launched a brand new sermon series called Rooted Rhythms. And uh, we've done Rooted a few times here at South Valley, and it's been incredible, honestly, to see what's come from it, whether it be the different service projects that have happened in the communities, the different ways that we've been able to bless different people just by acting like Christians, or whether it be the ways that different individuals have personally grown deeper in their relationship uh, with Jesus. And the thing that I personally love so much about Rooted is that it's not some program that just says that, hey, we found the answers or we found the secret to becoming a good Christian, right? It was actually the church over in Kenya and they read the Bible and they said, hey, this seems pretty fundamental, right? Like this, this seems pretty important. We should, we should do this stuff. And it seems so simple, but how often do we forget the fundamentals, right? Like uh, some of you may have seen me up here some Sundays when I'm not preaching, and, uh, and that's because from time to time I will uh, be up here playing guitar. I play most weeks over in the youth group as well. And uh, one of the most embarrassing things that's happened to me in, the, in these moments is not actually, you know, when I play the wrong note, which happens more than I'd like to admit, uh, but it's actually the number of times that I've just found myself trying to figure out why my guitar is not working, right? I, I get everything set up, the band's ready to go, and I go and strum something and there's nothing. And so I'm like yelling up to the sound guy. I'm like, hey, make sure you unmute me, right? I'm like trying to walk him through how to do it, going through the whole thing with him. Sometimes, like in youth group, I have to, like I'm yelling across. There have been times that I've legitimately yelled back to the sound guy during the service, hey, unmute me, right? There have been times where I'm in here and I set my guitar down and run all the way up to the sound booth to be like, okay, let's figure out how to unmute me, right? There have been times that I'm sitting there staring at my pedal board, trying to figure out like, okay, did I get all the inputs and the outputs right? Like, what's the setting that I messed up on here? There's all these different things that could go wrong. What is it? And the problem is that every single time, it's the same problem. Because when you play an electric guitar, you have to plug it in. And 
you know, I don't like to admit it, but here we are. And how many times have I not plugged it in, right? See, here's the thing. The fundamentals matter, right? It doesn't matter how much time I try investing into learning the song perfectly, into uh, changing my strings, building the right tones, buying the right gear. I can do all this peripheral stuff, but if I miss the fundamentals, if I don't plug the guitar in, it's all for nothing, right? And, And so much, I think, of this is happening to us in Christianity, where we find the areas that we're like, okay, this seems easy enough. I'll try here, or I'll I'll do like just this piece of it, right? And you try to pick and choose, but you've neglected the fundamentals. And you're wondering why your wheels are just spinning, why things aren't working. And so uh, Reverend Dr. Ricky Hemme talked to us last week um, (laughs) about... Hey, it's, it's a big accomplishment, all right? So he talked to us about daily devotions and the fundamental aspect of daily devotions. And uh, he was generous enough to give me this week generosity. Um, and so we're, we're gonna go ahead and jump into that this morning. We're gonna be in Romans chapter 14 is where we're gonna start. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love if you turn there. Otherwise, we'll have it up on the screen. But uh, as we're turning there, I'd love to just pray over the service this morning. So God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to come together as community, to look into your word, to search it out together, to uh, deal with conviction together. And so Spirit, we ask that you would be present this morning in meaningful ways, that you would be changing hearts, reshaping us, remolding us, and that you would even encounter me in this moment, Jesus, that that I would be a changed man uh, by the end of this morning. We pray that each one of us in here and online would all be closer to you, Jesus, by the end of today than we were this morning, and that that would continue every single day of our lives. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. You are so good. It's in your perfect name that we pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 14, we're going to start here in verse 1. And it says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And here's here's what I want you to key in on right here. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Right? So there's one thing throughout this passage that Paul seems to indicate repeatedly. 
right? And hopefully you got it. I've been, I've been working with my small group with this kind of stuff, and it's been really exciting to see how they've started picking up the different ways that biblical authors will repeat certain things because they're trying to say, hey, 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 key in. I'm trying to teach you something here, right? And so when we go all the way back to Romans 10, Paul wrote this salvation passage that many of us have become very familiar with, right? He, he wrote this passage where in verse 9, he wrote about those who confess Jesus as Lord, right? Do you remember the passage? If, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? But it starts with this phrase, confess Jesus as Lord. And this was a really big deal at that time because everyone knew who the Lord was. And it was Caesar. And so calling Jesus Lord was a way of saying, it was not a way of saying that he was also Lord, right? But it was a way of saying that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. This was a fundamental belief in the early church. This remains a fundamental belief in the church to recognize that there is nothing higher in all of creation, nothing that is of higher rank than Jesus himself. But if there's one thing that I think most of us have learned about people by now, it's that they're messy and they cause messy things to happen, right? So while this is in chapter 10, we fast forward to Romans chapter 14 and here are these Christians who think that some of them think it's sinful to eat meat that's been sacrificed to these false idols. And there's some who think it's totally fine because God is the only God anyway, and it's just meat. I mean, in fact, maybe we could just say that this meat is a gift from God, right? And so what Paul does is he steps in to address the Romans in this moment, but what he's not doing is he's not pulling them aside and saying, okay, listen here, guys. You, you are so confused, okay? Calm down, but you... You got this. You're nailing it. Just keep going, right? That's not what Paul does. Instead, Paul steps in and goes back to the fundamentals. That's what we see happening here in Romans 14. See, in just the last three verses of the passage we read, Paul refers to the Lord seven times. How are those for some biblical numbers, right? Seven times in three verses that Paul refers to the Lord. Now, if you've taken our membership class recently, then you've got to hear my definition of what it means to be a disciple. And my definition is this. A disciple is defined as someone constantly bringing every aspect of their life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest. This, this can be tough sometimes, right? This is going to be tough because you'll notice how you're doing great in certain areas. You're making strides. You're making progress. You're getting better only to turn around and realize that you've started slipping somewhere else. Right? I, I heard some people resonating with that one. Right? You start doing great somewhere and then you turn around and you're like, what happened? I was so good at that last week. And now it happens so fast. Right? And this is, this is why I actually love Rooted so much on a personal level. See, I am a very cerebral person, right? Like recently, for fun, 
I decided to read G.K. Chesterton's biography of St. Thomas Aquinas. And if you don't know what I just said, that's okay, because it's weird, right? Normal people don't read those kind of books for fun, but it was great, and I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, See, I'm the kind of guy who will bury myself in books for a good time. But the more spiritual side of Christianity, I find to be legitimate work. I have to exercise at that. I have to be intentional with that. And so Rooted has this prayer experience, which was the first time ever in my life I had spent that long in prayer. And those of you going through Rooted who have done that prayer experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's intense. And and it was life-changing for me. Now, it wasn't life-changing because like this was the first time I really learned how to pray, but it was life-changing for me because the light bulb came on and I realized, Seth, you have failed to make Jesus your Lord in this area of your life. You've decided it's good to just sprinkle a little bit of prayer here and there. You know, you, you check the boxes and so God's gonna be all right, you know, maybe not thrilled, but he's certainly not upset with you, Right? That's not seeing Jesus as my Lord. I realized I'd been missing something. And so here's the fundamental place where we need to start church. Who is Lord of your life? Is it you? Is it Jesus, but only in some areas? Right, like, hey Jesus, you are Lord of my Sundays. Sorry, Sunday mornings. I got some things to do the rest of the day, God, right? Are we, are we telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, you are Lord of my family. What you want to do with my kids, with my spouse, with my relatives, you're Lord. I trust you with those things. Are, are we telling Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord of my work, and if you want to pull the rug out from under that, that's okay because you're the one in charge, not me. Those are some harder questions. Right? See, those of us in here who are already Christians, when you confessed Jesus as Lord, did you bother to ask the question, Lord of what? Lord of what? Right? And it it is in Jesus' call to us to make him Lord of our lives that we are called to live lives of generosity. Because here's the deal. If I'm Lord of my own finances, then I have already learned that I have quite the tendency to mess them up. Now, I want to pause for a second because I know that the second that money came into this, some of you checked out, right? I want to encourage you, come on back. This is not a sermon about money. This is a sermon about Jesus as Lord, right? So track with me for a moment. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear this. Generosity is an act of rebellion against the lie of the enemy that God is not enough. I want you to hear that, church. Generosity is an act of rebellion against the lie of the enemy that God is not enough. It's when we start to second-guess God or start to overanalyze our own abilities that we fail to see Jesus as Lord, that we start shifting and seeing Lord in certain areas but failing in other areas, right? And I, and I know how difficult this is. See, when my wife and I first moved into our current house, we had a number of medical expenses that came through. And uh, 
we also had newlywed insurance at the time, which basically means uh, that we almost kind of didn't have insurance. And so we have all these bills coming through, right? And, and we, as we kind of sat through, through all this, looking through how we're going to handle all of this, we decided that throughout this, you know, we think it's important that we still make sure that Jesus remains Lord of our finances. So let's, you know, let's keep giving, let's keep being generous, let's keep tithing, let's keep doing all of that. And I specifically recall one day where I went to the mailbox and I opened it up and I pulled out what I realized was a check. So without even getting home, I opened it up, I looked at it, and this check was for the exact amount that we owed in medical bills. And I'm like, I'm beyond excited. I'm like running back to the house until that run is starting to move into a slower walk, until eventually that slower walk has turned into I'm standing still staring down at the check. And this sudden shift in attitude left my mind as a prayer. God, do I have to tithe on this? Right, because... Because if I tithe on this, then now I'm 10% short on my medical expenses. Right? Like, and, and, and here's what happened. This is when I had to re-ask the question, Lord of what? Is he still Lord of my finances? Or is it me? Or, or maybe, maybe at this point, it's the billing department at Adventist Health. Right? And I need to sit and ask myself the question, honestly, who is Lord of my finances? Because there's a part of me that wishes I could go back to this moment and say, this is an opportunity for me to give and to bless through the means of the church or in other generous ways that, that I wouldn't have been able to bless others before. This is a way for me to, to pour into the kingdom of God in a brand new way that I wouldn't have had before. But that's not usually our go-to thought, is it? That's not it, right? So I started thinking again, Lord of what? See, Jesus talks more about finances than almost anything else in the New Testament. And this seems totally crazy to me because we're dealing with Jesus coming to die on a cross to save people, and their literal, eternal existence is on the line. And yet, Jesus is talking about money. That seems weird, right? Like, do you ever wonder why it's such a big deal to him? And I think it's all wrapped up in this. Jesus knows how easy it is for money to gain the title of Lord in our lives. And, and so here's a story I want to share. If we rewind even further, when my wife first got married, not when we were first moved into the house we're in now, but when we first got married, we weren't tithing at all, right? We, we would drop some money in the offering plate from time to time, but, but we weren't regularly giving. And over time, we, we decided that we wanted to step deeper into a spirit of generosity. And we've begun to learn to give higher and higher percentages of our income. We've even begun setting money aside so that when we find somebody in need, we've already done the legwork to prepare to be generous beforehand. 
And see, one of the questions that I'm asked most often as a pastor, this is honestly one of the questions I get most often as a pastor. Do pastors tithe? Right? Like, I, I had somebody ask me before, they're like, okay, like, do you actually tithe? Because, like, then taxes are all involved in everything. Or, or does the church just say, like, hey, we want to pay you this much, so we're going to deduct 10% from that, and then you're just kind of set, right? Well, well here's what I want to tell you. Yes, we tithe, right? And, and I know that our pastors here try to go beyond just a tithe, or what is 10%, right? Ricky, recently, he preached a sermon for us on giving, and he talked about, about reoccurring giving to us. And about how he and his wife take the time to, to figure out how much they're going to give and to, and to pour back to the church. And the important thing to my wife and me is that we see the money leaving the bank account. Right? We want to see it in there where we know we could use this, we could pay some bills, we could do some things, but we're going to give it to God instead. And here's the reason. One of the wisest pastors who I've ever had, he regularly taught that that which costs you nothing is worth nothing. That which costs you nothing is worth nothing. And so I'm here telling people that Jesus is worth everything to me. How am I going to back that up? Right? There's got to be sacrifice. There's got to be sacrifice. Just like we've seen time and time again the way that people will sacrifice for family, right? Because family's worth something to them. It's worth it for family to cost something. So we, we bring that over to Jesus and we say, Jesus, you're worth everything to me. Maybe. Is that in word or in practice? Paul saw suffering as an opportunity for him to commune with Jesus and to become more like him. And so what does this mean for all of us, right? If, if Jesus sees money as an opportunity for you to answer the question, Lord of what? That's how Jesus sees it. This is your opportunity to answer the question, Lord of what? And this again, I mentioned Pastor Ricky teaching on finances recently. I'd encourage you, if you missed that sermon, to go back online and to listen to it on our YouTube channel. Uh, all of our sermon series are organized in there. You can find it in the Maximum Impact Sermon Series. But he taught us about how it's, it's honestly not about hitting a certain percentage, Right? In fact, the New Testament actually calls Christians to a higher level of generosity than even the Old Testament did. Now, some of you I know are living at a point where you're saying, Seth, if I give 10%, I will literally lose my house. And here's what I want you to hear. It's not about 10% but it is about sacrifice. Jesus is looking for you to make a distinct faith action, and he will meet you at that point. But he'll also look to take you to the next step. Right, and so some of you, I know, maybe in here right now, and 2% is, you're like, that's a big ask. 
That's doing a lot. And maybe Jesus is meeting you there and saying, hey, I appreciate your generosity. Let's sit tight here. But hey, next year, we're going to move this up to 4%, right? Some of you are sitting at that 10%, and maybe Jesus is pushing and saying, hey, we're getting close to the new year. Why don't we think about 11? Some of you are sitting in here, and you're giving 10%, and Jesus is saying, am I worth nothing to you? I know this 10% means nothing to you. This is not about 10%. This is about sacrifice. This is why I say it's about making a distinct faith action. And Jesus will meet you there. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus being Lord is that he is a good, good king. He is a forgiving king, and he is a generous king. And your generosity is a point at which your faith declares to the rest of the world that you believe that Jesus is so sovereign. He is so sovereign that there is nothing the world could throw at you for you to find yourself in a place where you don't have enough because you trust Jesus that much. You trust that he'll take care of you. And so for many of us, that means that, that maybe we've got to do some Take some time and sit down with our spouse and and plan this out annually and say, hey, what's our giving gonna look like? Just like Pastor Ricky talked about doing with his wife, right? Sitting down and saying, what's our giving gonna look like this year? How much do we wanna sacrifice? Maybe for you, this is a monthly thing, sitting down and saying, hey, how much can I sacrifice this month? But I just want to encourage is that the point is that you're deliberately agreeing to meet Jesus at a certain point knowing that he's going to plan to take you deeper. And so let's, let's look at a passage. We said that, that Jesus talked about finances almost more than anything else in the New Testament. So let's look at a passage. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And they, this is the Pharisees, uh, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him, Jesus, in his talk. So great start, right? This is how every conversation we have, we want it to start, right? Okay, three of you are awake. Hopefully I can get the rest of you by the end of this. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you're true and don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So here's one of these instances where Jesus taught on money, right? And the the Pharisees, they approach Jesus because they have this question and, and they're hoping that they can get out of paying taxes, right? Let's be honest. Many of us are not far off from here, right? Now, granted, for the Pharisees, what they're looking at is they're saying, hey, we're paying our taxes to the Roman government who's using that money to fund an army that is actively oppressing us as Jews, right? So it's a little different for them. They want out, right? But this passage is exactly why I think Jesus talks about money so much. Because it really isn't about the money, It's about Jesus and who he is. 
Jesus says something quite remarkable in this passage. Jesus asks them to bring him a denarius, and he looks at it, and seeing the face on it, he asks them, who has been molded into this coin? And of course, they say Caesar. That's the face they see. And so Jesus tells them that if the image of Caesar is what's upon the money, then they should give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But then he tells them to give to God what is God's. What's Jesus talking about? See, church, he just mentioned the image. What bears the image of God? You. You bear the image of God, so to whom do you belong? You bear the image of God. See, there are two lessons here. One is to pay your taxes, right? I'm sorry, I wish that wasn't one of the lessons, but it was a short lesson. The second lesson is that you belong to God. You're a human being made in his image, and your value exceeds that of any currency. But Jesus also teaches here that being made in the image of God demands a response from us. And that is the fully giving of ourselves back to the one who made us. So as we unpack what it means to give ourselves over fully to God, that does include our finances. Deuteronomy 8 teaches that the only reason that you're even able to make money is because God has gifted you in that regard. But we should also know that it goes further than this. See, two of the rooted rhythms that are taught are to give sacrificially, but also to serve the community. Part of what it means to give to God what is God's is to worship him fully through the giving of yourself in service to others around you who are also made in the image of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is addressing serving within the community of believers and how there are different spiritual gifts that God gives to the church. But at the heart of this, do you see what was the main thing again? Always coming back to this. Paul is making clear all over again that it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can declare that Jesus is Lord. Jesus being Lord is all over everything that we do as followers of Jesus. Paul goes on from here to list some of the spiritual gifts that God provides, and, and there are a couple things that I want to address here. First is that there, there are some who believe that the spiritual gifts continue through to this day and, and some who believe that they've stopped existing with the completion of the Bible and what's left is faith, hope, and love. Now listen, at South Valley, we don't want to put the Holy Spirit in a box, but we also know that there are people who have abused, uh, who have abused this and who have said things were of the Holy Spirit when they were not, Right? And so what we want to encourage from you is we want to encourage you to sit down and take some time with the Holy Spirit and work through this. But here's what I want you to understand. No matter how God has gifted you, whether it's the gift of healing or the gift of love, 
Each of those are equally miraculous because they are from the spirit of the living God. In the same component, there's also a truth that God has gifted each one of us. And he, he has a mission that he has invited you to enter into with him, to participate together. And the second teaching point of this passage is this. Generosity links to how we use our spiritual gifts. And, and I, I realize this totally, it sounds weird, right? Because when we think about generosity and gifts, we think about the gift giver, right? Not the gift recipient, right? If God gave you a gift, it's yours, right? So let's, let's unpack that. I know we've got a lot of parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles in here, right? A lot of us in here have given gifts, right? A lot of us in here have given gifts, right? This is how I make sure you're still here. Now see, a regular type of gift to be given at this point is gift cards, right? Like if Pastor Ricky's birthday was coming up, I would know in and out in Dutch Bros gift cards. Easy day, right? Like don't even have to think about it, that's easy. And those are his, he gets to use those how he wants, right? But for those of us who have given gifts to younger kids, we know that's not necessarily the case. We have an agenda for how they use their gifts. There are ways they could use their gifts that we would find appalling, right? How many of you who have given a gift, a gift, especially parents and grandparents, have given a toy to a young child, and after the gift is open, you proceed to get on the ground with the child and show them how to use the gift, right? My, my oldest son, Parker, he's three, and he's obsessed with this TV show called PJ Masks. And uh, recently, we got him this car that Catboy drives in PJ Masks. And so he gets this car. He's so excited about it. He's like rolling it all over the ground and everything. And then I got on the ground, and I said, hey, buddy, watch this. There's this little lightning bolt button on the top of it, right? And I pushed the button, and Catboy starts speaking about how he's going to save the day. And all of a sudden, the car speeds off. It like pops a wheelie on the way. And, and Parker's like, and like the kid was, I've never seen excitement like that in my life. Like it was just, it was everything, right? Now, if Parker decided that he wanted to use that car as a paperweight, like I, I guess to some degree that's prerogative, right? But how disappointing would that be as a parent? Right, to see that excitement, to get down there and show him, this is how you use it, Parker. This is how to enjoy your gift. Church, the Father has uniquely gifted you and he is excited to get on the floor with you and show you how wonderfully he has gifted you. But the key is where it happens. Church, God is dying to meet you in the soup kitchens, in the homeless camps, and the places where the least of these are gathered. He's dying to meet us in the community of the church where we can bring our gifts together to accomplish incredible things in partnership with him. See, one of my favorite moments as a pastor is when I get to sit down and work with somebody and I see the light bulb finally come on because they realize, ah, this is what God made me for. This is what I'm made for, right? And what's happening in this moment is this new realization that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the good king who has gifted you, not just with spiritual gifts, but with purpose. Here's what I want you to know about serving, church. Serving is a rebellion against the lie of the world that you have to do everything you can to serve self. Serving is a rebellion against the lie of the world that you have to do everything you can to serve self. 
Jesus invites you to serve in the midst of family just as with finances, he's asking for a, a, an actionable faith step where he can meet you. And just like before, with your finance or with your, with your serving, Jesus is looking for this faith action where he can meet you there and help you to take that next step. In the book of Genesis, there's a story about this boy named Joseph. And Joseph was his father's favorite, which caused a lot of problems, right? His brothers end up uh, kidnapping him. They take him and they throw him in a pit until they finally decide that they have a better option. Let's sell him into slavery. And we'll take his coat and we'll smear it in animal blood and take it back to dad and say, sorry, dad, animal got him. Joseph's gone. And meanwhile, Joseph is on his way over to Egypt. And after Joseph has been sold into slavery, he finds himself wrongfully thrown into prison. And he's in this dark dungeon and he's made some friends down there. And he tells them, he sees that they're getting out and he tells them, guys, hey, when you get out, don't forget about me. And they forget about him. I mean, this is, this is rough stuff, right? Like this kid is just trying to follow God with everything that he's got. And, and time after time after time, it seems like everyone is out to get him. Sometimes I think we find ourselves in these moments where it's like, God, I'm trying to serve you. I, I'm trying to use my gifts. I'm trying to use my finances. But every time I do, I find myself in, in this pit. I find myself in the dungeon. I find myself in these different places. God, what is going on? And there finally comes this moment where Pharaoh has this dream. And guess what? Joseph has the gift of interpreting dreams. But how many of you at this point would say, no, no, forget that. This whole messed up Egyptian judicial system is the reason that I'm wrongfully in prison right now. And, and even though I've been forgotten down here, you're asking me to help the government? No, I'm out, I'm out. Or, or how many of you might say, oh, now you want my help? Maybe you should have that, thought of that before you wrongfully put me down here. I'm good. Or how many of you at this point would simply be so dejected that you would not consider yourself gifted or of any value at all anymore? See, I think that's where most of us would find ourselves. I think that's where most of us do find ourselves. We try and we try, and as obstacles come, we just say, you know what, maybe, maybe as God was handing out the gifts, he forgot me. You know, I keep trying to be generous with my finances, but God, I still can't pay my water bill. I don't know. And yet in that moment, Joseph was willing to go to the Pharaoh and use his gift and in that, he, he saw through the dream that there was going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph was now elevated from this prison to being put in charge over nearly everything. And he, he had charge over all the food, and, and now he's in this opportunity where it's literally through Joseph that the world is being saved, where people should have been starving to death. They weren't. Because Joseph, even in the darkest moment, realized that God had still shown a light through his gifting. Genesis 50, at the end of the story, 
Joseph's or his father dies, and his brothers are concerned that Joseph is still holding on to bitterness and anger and everything else. And here's what Joseph says to them. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Church, I want you to recognize that a good and generous God has blessed you and gifted you beyond what you could ever recognize. I realize that the enemy has, has may be active in your life and may be discouraging you from living out your life in ways that proclaim Jesus as Lord because frankly, you're just tired. But know that God works all the things that the enemy brings for the good of his children. Know that there is no dungeon so dark that a light cannot be shown through the ways that God has encountered you. Know that God desires in every circumstance to meet you where you are, even in the darkest moments, and to take you forward. God is able and ready to step into the darkest moments you have ever had happen to you and that you will ever have happen to you. So as we consider generosity in all areas of our lives and what it means to make Jesus Lord, here are three practical steps that I think we can all take away from today. Number one, ask God to reveal to you where you failed to make him Lord of your life. Maybe you don't even see it yet. You know, sometimes for me, it wasn't until that check came in the mail that I realized, it wasn't until I got into that rooted prayer experience that I realized, it again. So ask him. This is just pursuing a relationship with him. This is like going to your spouse and saying, hey, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? Right? This is going to God and just asking him, God, how can I love you better? Right? That's number one. Number two, make a faith action to meet Jesus with your finances to show that he is your Lord and money's not. That he is Lord and nothing else is. Number three, make a faith action to get plugged in. See, serving is all about a community of Jesus followers, simultaneously declaring that Jesus is Lord. And, and, and I want you to know that we're here to help you find the right place to serve, to find the right place to get plugged in. Uh, you, you can let us know on a Connect card. You can let us know in the Church Center app. We'll walk you through the whole process. We'll even help you find out where you're gifted if you don't know yet but make a faith action to get plugged in. Take that step of faith, church. We're, we're gonna move into uh, an additional time of, of worship this morning. And as we do, I just wanna encourage that I, I feel that there are likely some individuals here this morning that as we move through talking about Jesus as Lord, that Jesus has never been their Lord. That they've never made that step. They've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to invite you today, just like Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. This is his gift to you. That, that through this, you could enter into relationship with Jesus. You could be in, in, in a life of community with other believers where we are working alongside you and, and you feel and recognize that you are gifted, that you have purpose, and most importantly, that you have value because a good God loves and created you. And he loves you more than you could ever possibly understand. 
And, and as we move into this song, some of you may know the lyrics to this song. And I'd encourage you, take this moment. Proclaim these words over your life. Use this as a moment to encounter Jesus, but some of you, you don't know the lyrics, and that's okay. Let them be sung over you. Meet Jesus in this moment of worship, realizing that there is nothing that we need besides Jesus. He is all we need. And as we, as we sing, we'll have some of our pastors and, and some of our prayer team down here, and we'll just be ready to pray with you whether it's accepting Jesus for the first time, whether it's through struggles of, of how you, you see, have seen Jesus as Lord in your life or not, whether it's something else entirely, we want to meet you where you are and help you to encounter Jesus in a new and fresh way. So with that, would you stand with us one more time as we worship together?